0: to hear an audio feast of mystery and melodrama, an experience and excitement that will twist your emotions into tight knobs, a direct line to high-tension drama that you'll never forget, as Daniel and Dean present M for Movie Journey Podcast.
1: Well done, Hendo, well done.
0: Thank you, mate. <laughs> Sorry I stole your thunder with your, your awesome quip you had lined up there.
1: Yeah, I was i was going to say something about trying to murder my wife, but it would be a bit awkward because she I'm pretty sure she can hear me, so we'll move on from that.
0: All right then. Well like, if no one uh, got what I was saying before, today we are breaking down Alfred Hitchcock's classic film,
1: Dial M for Murder. Dean, how you going, mate? I think they got it, Hendo.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my uh, my old timey trailer voice didn't really work so well.
1: Mm, I am good though. Uh, I don't really have anything to say. How are you? I'm fine. How? Nothing to report here Nothing whatsoever. Nothing to report. Work is going as usual. Restrictions still restricting
0: you. No, I think everyone's starting to calm down now, work's uh, getting uh, ever so slightly back to normal.
1: Is it? Yeah. Why, what's it like for you? I mean, it's still really, really busy.
0: Well, my store's always busy anyway, so I'm just used to it. So is mine. You're just peaking now. It's busier Ah. than usual.
1: So it's been good. It's been good. Makes my life easier, the busier it is, to be honest, which- uh, That's good to hear. Is nice. But what else are we doing today, Hendo.
0: Well, after the breakdown of Dial In for Murder, we're going to take a look at some reviews you guys have given us. We'll take a look at our question of the week, which is, what is your top five Alfred Hitchcock film? Which will be our top five as usual. We'll take a look at who won our competition there from our Facebook listener community and our patrons. We're going to take a look at the pod v pod 36 results between us and Colby Mac in our draft on TV show, Oh, sorry, movies adapted from TV shows. After that, we'll have a look at our round two tournament of champions matches we've got coming up. And then after all that, it is my turn to choose a film for the next breakdown. I did have one I had planned to pick, but uh, in the 11th hour, I chose differently.
1: Well, considering I didn't know what you were going to pick and don't know what you are going to pick, that really doesn't mean anything to me right now, Hendo.
0: Do you want me to tell you what I was going to pick? Yes. I was going to choose Dead Poet Society.
1: Okay. Would have been a fine choice. What made you uh, pussy out of that one?
0: I don't know. I saw another film that I actually have seen that I wanted to
1: watch again. Hold on. Have you seriously not seen Dead Poet Society? No, we've had this conversation probably at least four times. I don't think Dead Poet Society not having been seen by you is worthy of four times a conversation. I remember it
0: uh, very <laughs> so vividly. I
1: remember it well. It was
0: a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And every time I say I haven't seen it, I get the same response. What? Really? You haven't
1: seen Dead Poet Society? I mean, it's probably not that big a deal, let's be honest.
0: We'll get to it eventually.
1: You know what this means, though. It means I will not ever pick it now, (laughs) because I know that you are close to picking it.
0: (laughs) That's okay. I'm okay with holding off on it. But before all that... Give me the update.
1: What's going on on the IMDb Top 250 list, Hendo?
0: Not a lot of changes this time around. We see that Cinema Paradiso has dropped down to fifty-one, bringing up Rear Window up to number fifty. Joker has dropped down a spot to fifty-three, bringing up Alien. We're on Anand watch at the moment as it drops four more spots to
1: seventy-seven. What a gripping story that is. The decline. <laughs> Tell of me more. Adnan. <laughs>
0: And I guess I could say The Passion of Joan of Arc goes down three spots to 219. And that's pretty much it. Not a lot of other movers and shakers this week. Sorry, Dean. Sorry to uh, burst that bubble there.
1: No, it's fine. I feel like it's kind of the way now that we do it every week. I feel like there's now that there's no Oscars and there's no new movies coming out, it's pretty much steady as she goes at the moment.
0: Do you want to drop the updates down to fortnightly now?
1: I think fortnightly is better. Why don't we just leave it for our main episode uh, coverage
0: our breakdown apps.
1: sure alright done alright before we get into Dial M for Murder please be warned that we will be spoiling this from the get go and this isn't really a movie that you want to have spoiled if you haven't seen it so please if you haven't seen it go and watch it and come back
0: and with that being said let's get into Dial M for Murder you're trying to blackmail me into murdering your wife few minutes work, that's all it is. One thousand pounds in cash. So Dial In for Murder is a 1954 American crime mystery film directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Ray Milland, Grace Kelly, Robert Cummings, and John Williams. Both the screenplay and the successful stage play, on which it was based, were written by English playwright Frederick Knott. Is this the first time you've seen this, Dean?
1: Uh, no, I believe it's the second, but honestly, it may as well have be been the first. Like, there were some elements that I remembered super vaguely, but honestly, it's it's virtually a first-time watch for me.
0: I'm almost in the same camp. I don't remember too much about this film. I kind of got it confused with Strangers on a Train as well.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't. You described it as a mystery. Do you actually think it is a mystery? Because to be honest, I don't. There's, well, there, there's the never film really... really
0: plays out the story from the start, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, like we sort of know what is expected to happen and then things don't always go to plan, but there's no real mystery or who done it or anything of that nature, is there? Is it the
0: mystery of is he going to get caught? I
1: mean, going by that rationale, almost every single movie ever made could be described <laughs> as a mystery if you literally don't know just what's going to happen in the plot.
0: You just ask one question about any film and all of a sudden it's a mystery film.
1: Yeah, like, is he going to get caught? Like, you know, Jesus.
0: (laughs) So, cinematography by Robert Burks, who was nominated for four Academy Awards. He was nominated for A Patch of Blue, Rear Window and Strangers on a Train. And he won for To Catch a Thief. He also did the cinematography for Vertigo as well. So, a Hitchcock staple then. Absolutely. Or what about this guy, Music, by Dimitri Timokhin, who has been nominated... Twenty-two times at the Academy Awards.
1: Please tell me he's won. He has won... Twenty-three times. Ten. Fuck, that's impressive.
0: Yes, uh, a, a variety of best original songs and best original scores as well. I'm not going to go through them all. His biggest one's probably High Noon. Maybe The Alamo as well. how that go? Uh, I don't know. It's very uh, Western-y, I guess. <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's an educated guess, Endo. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Something like that? (laughs) Mm.
0: I don't think it's anywhere near that. But good good shot, Dean. Anyway, this film was originally going to be filmed in 3D. Did you hear about the big craze of 3D back in the 50s?
1: Hold on. I thought it was filmed in 3D and was released in 3D. What do you mean originally uh, was going to be? It wasn't released in 3D. It was
0: released later on in 3D because that once this film got released, the 3D was starting to die down because people were having a lot of uh, troubles with actually watching a 3D film with those glasses. They were giving them a lot of headaches and eye issues. So in the end, the, uh, the cinemas basically said you can either have your film be uh, shown in 3D or in flat, which is what they used to call it. So in the end, they said, well, dial in for murder, is a is a pretty good film regardless of 3D or not. So why don't we just stick to the flat uh, style? So it never came out in 3D. It got re released at a later date in that 3D style that it originally was intended to. Did you know about the 3D before you watched the film?
1: No, I did not.
0: Okay, I didn't either. And there are shots that I was looking at in this film. I'm like, this is a very weird way of shooting this particular shot. And I was curious as why was he doing this? Was this sort of a you know a Hitchcock style blocking sort of shot he's doing? But no, I found it afterwards. It was because they wanted so many things front and centre because it was originally designed to look like a 3D image. I was like, ah, that makes perfect sense now. Fair enough. So Alfred Hitchcock's dream cast for this movie included Deborah Kerr, William Holden, and Cary Grant.
1: Cary Grant, who has worked with Hitchcock a number of times before, apparently just flat out refused the role of Tony because he did not want to play a villain.
0: Yeah, what do you make of that? I mean, he's an actor,
1: surely... Surely you don't want to be that typecast, and surely you want to try and do different things.
0: I mean, if your reputation is you're the good guy, you're the, you know, the classic fifties guy that everyone looks up to. I mean, maybe back in that, maybe he's the you know the man's man. He doesn't want to play a, a bad dude in these films. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's the hero. He doesn't want to play a guy who tries to kill his wife.
1: Yeah, I'm sure things were a lot different back there, but or back then, yeah. but yeah, hearing that now, you're like, come on. Have some range, son.
0: What about this, though? Warner Brothers practically forced Hitchcock to make this movie to fulfill his contract he had with them. He was so disinterested that he claimed he could have phoned in his direction and that the action wouldn't have been any less interesting if he just staged it in a phone booth.
1: So is that saying he wasn't really trying
0: in this film? Certainly sounds like it, but then on the next piece I read here, he made a special effort to shoot scenes indoors almost exclusively. He only had a few brief shots, usually involving Hubbard taking place outside. He believed the decision to shoot most of the scenes indoors would create a bit more sense of claustrophobia. So even though he was disinterested, he still had his director brain on and trying to do certain shots the way he wanted it.
1: Yeah, and I feel like Hitchcock is almost, maybe known is too strong a word, but he certainly is. He has memorable films that take place almost entirely inside, like Rear Window, and more, more uh, appropriately, Rope. Oh, Rope! The old one-take movie. Yeah, in yeah. in a sense,
0: that's a good film. Yeah, obviously, with the you know the tricky cuts to make it look like it is. But this was filmed in just thirty six days. It was filmed from August fifth, nineteen fifty three, to September twenty fifth, nineteen fifty three. They only worked on the weekdays back then. No, only Monday to Friday. They had their weekends off still.
1: Well, you got to give these movie stars time to be movie stars, I guess. Of course.
0: But this premiered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on the nineteenth of May in nineteen fifty four, with a runtime of one hundred and five minutes. With a tagline, well, several taglines here, but why don't we go for the first one here? Kiss by kiss, supreme, suspense, unfurls. Nah, I don't like it. If a woman answers, hang on for dear life.
1: See, that's not bad. And it ties into
0: the dial a lot more. What about, it holds you spellbound with suspense? Nah, too generic. And the last one here, is this the man she was waiting for or the man who was waiting for her? I don't even see how that's relevant to the story. Maybe because of Lestrange? Yeah,
1: Lestrange uh, waiting for her behind the curtain. Lestrange? You're not getting your Harry Potters uh, mixed up again, are you, Hendo? Do you mean Swan? Lesgate. Lesgate. Lestrange, God. There's too much Harry Potter on the brain. All right, let's call that character Swan from now on, shall we? No I'm going to call him Lesgate. I actually <laughs> I'll tell you. I looked up because I was watching this for a bit and I missed his name and by the way, they keep this character in particular. they refer to as many different names because he keeps changing him apparently. so I just yeah. w- I went to the IMDB cast photos and I thought he was Hubbard. Because I know they were call- well, I know they were calling him Captain and I was like, Chief Inspector, I was like, Yeah, close enough. Hubbard, yeah, it kind of looks like it, you know, it could be him if he was older. So yeah. for the majority of my notes are Hubbard until Chief Inspector Hubbard comes onto the scene and I was like, Oh for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> now look, if if I can help it, I will change it to Swan because in on the IMDB credits it does say Charles Swan. But he comes into the film as Lesgate and I'm like, all right, that's his name. Mind you, that actor Anthony Dawson—he was in uh, Doctor No as the very first henchman to be killed by Bond.
1: Yeah, he was also in From Russia with Love and Thunderball, playing Blofeld. Very good Bond trivia. Not bad, not bad.
0: But this did have a budget of about one point four million dollars back then. the The gross that IMDb have on here is has to be incorrect because they say worldwide it grossed eighteen thousand dollars, which is wrong. Because apparently, based off the Variety 1954 box office article they had, it estimated about $2.7 million in gross.
1: How low does that sound now? 2.7? Yeah. Are you, are you doing inflation? No, I'm not. It's just you say, oh, it gross 2.7. So, the 2.7 is the North American box office sales. So, I think worldwide, it was 6 million according to Wikipedia. Well, there you go. Profitable.
0: No Oscar noms though for Dial for Murder,
1: unfortunately. No, but there's definitely some Oscar talent on the cast though, isn't there, Hendo? Who are you talking about? Well, I'm talking Ray Milland, who played Tony. He won Best Actor for The Lost Weekend in 1945. He actually has one of the shortest ever acceptance speeches for a Best Actor. He went on stage and says, Thank you, thank you very much indeed, I'm greatly honoured, and walked off.
0: Nah, that's nothing compared to Joe Pesci for winning for for Goodfellas.
1: I said one of Have You seen that one? Ah, uh, I have. It why was awesome. Why don't you refresh all of our memories? It's my privilege. Thank you. Yes, well said. Well said, Pesci. But uh, also Grace Kelly won Best Actress Oscar for The Country Girl uh, the year prior, 1954. What do you know about oh, Grace Kelly? Look at Kelly? that.
0: Didn't she marry like
1: a prince? Yeah, she married the Prince of Monaco. So she is yeah, Princess and got out Grace of acting. Yeah. Hmm. She made 11 films, 3 of which were with Hitchcock.
0: Well, there you go. Once you marry a prince, you don't need to be doing any acting anymore.
1: Apparently, all of her films were banned in Monaco because they didn't want to see, you know, their princess as anything but perfect, basically. I mean, that makes sense for royalty. She actually died really young, 52. Car crash. Oh, that's unfortunate. You know what I know Grace Kelly most from? That bloody Mika song. Song? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) You want to be like Grace Kelly? Ooh.
0: (laughs) So like I said earlier, this was based off a Broadway play where actually John Williams, who plays Inspector Hubbard, and Anthony Dawson, who plays Charles Swan, actually played those parts in the Broadway. John Williams actually won a Tony Award for his role as Inspector Hubbard.
1: Yeah, no, great effort. He's probably very disappointed he didn't get the Oscar. I wonder how different the script was from the play version to the film adaptation. Cause this feels I mean, I don't- this feels very much like a play. Like before I was just about to say that. I, I watched these I watched these movies without doing any reading prior, and within the first ten minutes away the characters were entering and exiting the or the the apartment, I was I I just felt like, okay, I reckon the whole movie will basically take place here, and it feels like a play.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's sort of Hitchcock's style, especially when he's doing movies that are set mostly indoors. He lets the actors roam the room. Like he He very rarely moves the camera in certain points when they're walking around. And, yeah, definitely, it, like, when I was watching it, it just felt like this could have easily been a play. And then when I looked up it was a play before this might makes absolutely perfect sense. This was also ranked number nine on the AFI's list of 10 greatest films in the mystery genre in June 2008.
1: What's the mystery? <laughs> I don't the understand it. The mystery is why it. it's on this list. I don't understand it. We know everything that's happening as it's happening. Like, we are seeing Tony lie, and we know he's lying, and we know what the truth is. I don't get what the mystery is. Just because you have directed by Alfred Hitchcock does not make the film a mystery.
0: Every film he makes has to be a mystery. It's, that's his genre. This, it's is, mystery.
1: this is a suspense thriller, not a mystery.
0: AFI seem to think differently, okay? What do they know? right, well, let's take a look at the history of Dial M for Murder in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted into the list in late 1997 at 228. Now, it had a brief rise over the next year up to 155 and then dropped down considerably to when it actually dropped out of the list mid-2006 and was actually just going back and forth, back and forth for about two years there, and then made its gradual incline for the next 14-odd years to where it currently sits now at number 153, with an 8.1 over 150,000 ratings. Solid. Not Hitchcock's highest film on the list, that's for sure. He's got eight films in the top 250 at the moment. Oh, really? Oh, my apologies. (laughs) He has six.
1: What am I reading? Six. What are they? Are they Vertigo, Rear Window, Psycho... North by Northwest. Uh, this one, Dial M for Murder. What's the other one? The Birds isn't in there, is there? Oh, Rebecca. It is not Rebecca. Yeah, he's only
0: his best picture winner, Rebecca.
1: Because I didn't, I didn't, I watched a few Hitchcock films recently, and I didn't watch Rebecca because it was on the 250 list, and I thought I better save that.
0: Yeah, I remember watching Rebecca when we did our or well, my 250 challenge, and I actually cannot remember a single thing about that film. And I don't think that's the movie's fault. I'm pretty sure that was just me like smashing out, you know, four or five films every day, moving on to the next one. And that was in the early rotation. But we'll get to that eventually. What we're going to get to now is this film. Let's get into our breakdown of Dial In for Murder Dean. Man, we got some old school titles again. How long has it been?
1: Were you pumped? Was I pumped? I mean, that's fine. They're very quick. Uh, not exactly a huge production crew on this one. No. Yeah, it's not exactly like uh, the Lord of the Rings end credits are coming at the start of the film, is it?
0: <laughs> Isn't that, I'm pretty sure the end credits for Lord of the Rings might be longer than this film.
1: <laughs> but we get a quick
0: fade into Mark and Margot having a bit of a pash here.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pashing is in this film is ridiculous. Why even bother? At least Grace Kelly is actually pushing her lips out. This guy, what's his name? Ray Milland is not even pursing his lips. He's just like, his face is just motionless, deadpan.
0: Uh, I'm not talking about Ray Milland. I'm talking about Robert Cummings.
1: Mark. Oh.
0: Tony's on the boat at the moment.
1: Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. I, I I meant Mark. What is his name? Sure you did. I don't even know his name. Is he anybody? Robert Cummings. Robert Cummings. Well, he certainly wasn't Cummings getting kissed by Grace Kelly, was he? Why not? I don't know. He just uh, wasn't feeling it, our man Cummings. (laughs) Can I just say, before we go further, how much I appreciated this huge widescreen vision. I was expecting like a four by three ratio here. (laughs) (laughs) Old black and white square film. When it filled up my huge TV, I was like, oh, awesome. (laughs) 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 And it wasn't black and white. Is there a black and white version of this?
0: No, I don't know why I thought it was black and white. It's just my memory of it that it was black and white. And when I turned it on and it was colour, I'm like, ah, all right, and that was a surprise. A pleasant surprise. I love how they, they have a quick cut here to Tony arriving and then it cuts back and
1: they're patch again. <laughs> well, it's hot and heavy at the uh God at the Tony house. What is what is their <laughs> last name? <laughs> Wendis. At the Wendis household. <laughs>
0: No, 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 The Tony house is okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: they do a lot of setup here pretty quickly with Margot talking about how she's been blackmailed because her and Mark are having an affair and she got this incriminating letter sent to her that she needs to basically send through some money to this address yeah. to get the letter back. £50, pounds, which would be a lot of money. Ooh. No, yeah, it would. Did you do inflation for that? No, nah, I didn't. I didn't either. <laughs> We can say it's a lot of money.
1: But I did find it interesting when she says that she heard nothing back. She eventually went to this place and no one had heard of the person and the money was still there. That's as close. That's definitely odd. That is as close to a mystery as we get in this film. (laughs) Five (laughs) minutes in.
0: See, at this point in time, I actually thought Mark was doing it. I completely forgot about the movie. I'm like, oh, I think Mark has has done all this. Really? Yeah.
1: I did not. Of of course, this all
0: changed in like five minutes. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I didn't realize any of it so
0: why didn't she burn the letter
1: because of you know the one you know you know the one the one yeah that's what they say in the film it's like oh i'm sure you know the one and it's like are they actually gonna tell us what was in this letter that's the mystery it's like oh that one yeah that one i couldn't burn you know you know the one Uh, i was like what uh okay i guess we'll get back to this
0: no no we won't No, no, fine. This one just
1: leave some things unanswered, Dean. Very special, this one letter. I wonder what was different about this one letter compared to any other letter. What could it be? No, let's wait for the sequel. What could it be? A marriage proposal? A declaration of love?
0: Who knows? I thought the multiple multiple intros to passing was the declaration of love. With that music, that music that's playing. What do you think of the music in this film?
1: Are you not a fan of John Williams score? That's not who it is.
0: Wrong, John Williams.
1: Ah, That's ah. what Hubbard was doing on the side. Hubbard wasn't wasn't writing the music for the film.
0: <laughs> is it? On, is it? Is it just me, or is it not sus that she's there with this Mark guy when Tony comes home?
1: This is the first time he's meeting him. I could not wrap my head around their relationship, Tony and Mark. Tony comes in like like even he's if he's just there in the house. Even if Tony didn't already know that they were having an affair, surely coming home from a a cruise away or a ship right away, God knows what he was doing, Um, and having another man in your house with her, and it's like, oh, yeah, we just caught up. It's like, what? What? Like, <laughs> uh, like, they don't work together. They're not colleagues. They're just like, yeah, this is Mark. Yep, he's here. And then for me, it okay. got even weirder when, like, Tony and Mark start hanging out together. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on here?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's weird with our context, but you know that he is trying to get him out with him, so he has the alibi from Mark. Yeah, but it's still it's still odd. Oh, it's super weird. This whole, yeah, this whole fact, three-way he relationship
1: is so weird. He doesn't need the alibi from Mark. He he can sit with a table of six people who will give him an alibi. I think maybe he thinks that if he is out, not with Mark, Mark is probably going to be stiff in his woman. That's true. Yeah, if he's out, she, he's going to be there with her.
0: Yeah, which could... Yeah, no, that, yeah. That's, that's good.
1: Well, good for them, not so good for Tony.
0: But no, Mark's Mark's gone. He's gone home now. Oh no, they both go out, don't they? That's the There we go. They're going out to a play. He's not going. They're going out together. Oh have a good night. What? When are you coming home? Oh, I won't be home till, you know, after
1: curfew. <laughs> don't wait up <laughs> If you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> but I think like his reaction to all this. He he knows what's happening. He he's already got this plan in motion, so it's not like they're gonna they're gonna be like, Oh, I'm going out to play with, you know, us two. And he's gonna be like, what? What the hell's going on here? He's like, okay,
1: have fun. Well, he, See you later. he gives he, he, he knows. He, he gives Mark the tickets.
0: Yeah, he wants them out of the house so he can arrange this this setup to the murder.
1: But I don't know He's under- not trying
0: to win her back now.
1: I still don't understand though. Like this is someone who is so enraged by the affair. That for an entire year, he will dedicate his life to stalking a, you know, a man that he can try and get to murder his wife and plan this whole perfect murder. But he just you never see that anger. Like, this guy is so cold-blooded about it. Maybe that's the man. That's the guy. Maybe he's
0: already had his emotional... know stuff coming out over the last year maybe he's just dead inside now
1: but it's almost like he harbors absolutely no ill will at all against mark he puts every shred of blame on margot well it's
0: his wife he doesn't even know this guy he meets him for the first time right now
1: he's known about this for the last year but you still wouldn't be chummy chummy with him knowing what he knows
0: no, but I'm saying, like, if they've been together, like, if they've been having a piece on the side for the last year, they've clearly been trying to hide this. Yet she knows he's coming home now. Mark just stays there, and is like, oh, this is Mark, by the way.
1: So, oh, how you going? Good to meet you. Haven't they stopped their affair at this point? Have they? I think, I think they've had. Um, I think the last year they haven't actually been engaging in an affair. Remember they said? Remember he said? Tony said he he saw them by candlelight in the window, and that was their big goodbye. But they're still hanging out.
0: Well, I th- have they been hanging out
1: this whole year? I don't think they have been. I think that this was a a return to the affair. On A oh, big coincidence, then maybe so. How did how
0: did Tony know that Mark was going to be there?
1: I don't know. <laughs> but Tony makes this important phone call. Is he dialing M? Only time will tell.
0: He's di- dialing M for make a car sale.
1: M- make a car sale. Yeah. Captain, I've written Lesbit. What did you say? L- Lesbit. It's uh, I'm Mrs. Nesbit. <laughs> Who no. is it? Swan. Swan. He calls Swan. Uh, and again, a sign of the times. Can you imagine calling someone at night now to buy a car? And getting them to drive around <laughs> and saying, uh, we've never met, but I'm going to get you drunk and we'll talk about price then. It's like, sure, I'll see you soon. It's like, yeah, 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 I'm on my way. It's like, what? Like all of his plan, like so much of his plan depends on it happening the next night and everything going perfectly this night. What if this guy did not want to drive over?
0: But he says that later on. He knows that he would come around because he needs that money. It's not his car. He's trying to sell it for this other woman. He's trying to get this like he's try, she said sell it for eight hundred and he's trying to sell it for eleven hundred. Yeah. He's gonna he wants to get this deal done now. He knows this. He's thought it all through, Dean. This is true. I found it funny how Tony was using a cane at the start here, like he was hobbling
1: around. Well, that's his excuse for getting the guy to come over. He's like, Oh, I've got this big knee injury, so I can't I can't um I can't come over. So the cane, you know, sets that up.
0: Yeah. I love the shot how when he he puts the cane on the chair and you just see Swan just sort of go, what the hell? Mm." And like the big close-up of the cane. So he clearly knows, oh, something's up here now. Yeah. Especially when we see that they have a picture of them, like
1: together, on his wall. What are the odds? I haven't seen you in 20 years, but I have a photo of you on my wall.
0: Yeah, and it's not like they try and make it out like it's this big group shot. It really isn't. It's like a table with them, those two, and Alfred Hitchcock, by the
1: way. Yes, good Did cameo you see the from Hitchcock? him. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, this this scene was, for me, pretty pretty incredible because I'm watching, I'm like, gee, this, this Tony guy, he remembers him so well. Like these tiny little details about the cash box and the exact amount yeah. of money that's gone missing and who was blamed for it. And I'm just, I'm watching, I'm like, what, uh, you know, what's going on here? And then I'll, I'll just put it out there. For, for me, this is my... Excellent! Not bad. Not bad at all. This, I mean, I actually, I, I didn't, I didn't, normally I write down like possible excellent question mark in my notes a few times and then whittle it down from there. I didn't write any possible excellences in this and I went through my notes again after I'd watched it a day later and I realized this point of the movie where Tony is slowly revealing the entire movie to us, basically. He's revealing the blackmail plot was him. He's revealing that everything he's said so far to Swan has been a lie. And the exact his exact intentions and what he wants to happen. This is when I was absolutely most engaged in this film. I think the setup and this first act to this film is sensational.
0: I agree completely, I think, especially when he gets up and starts wiping off all the fingerprints on all the bits and pieces, yep. and he even tells him... I say, oh boy, if you want another drink, do you mind putting on these gloves?
1: Yeah, and it's like that facade of, you know, where Friends is slowly getting removed with everything he does. It's almost systematic, the steps he's taking to slowly reveal to Swan, you know, his true intentions. It's masterful.
0: Especially when he reveals the letter as well. Like, I'm the one who did the letter. I've been bribing her. I, I And now I've got your fingerprints on yeah. it. So especially when um, Swan comes back at him like, oh, what if I tell the cops this? And he goes, I, I have a plan for everything you're telling me here. And he goes back at him we're like, yeah, they won't believe you. They, I've got your fingerprints on here. I'll tell them you were the one that was bribing her. And, yeah, and it's like, wow, he has got him cornered.
1: Yeah, that's great. Very lucky though that you know he's following this guy around and I know he's you know got out of prison so you would think he's probably a bit dodgy anyway but he he really did give him plenty of information to blackmail him with didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they say here that they actually do stop their affair because Tony stops playing tennis now. That was the big thing that she didn't want him to play tennis. She wanted him to play husband at home. He actually decides at this point to stop playing tennis a year ago.
0: That's right. Yeah, he does. That's right. He does. And after he basically blackmailed him into... You know agreeing to kill his wife. Well, he's, he's 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 definitely thinking about the idea at the moment. He's got the thousand pounds there. They've even gone through how he's managed to have this a thousand pounds in cash ready to go without it looking so suspicious, like you know, $20 here, $5 here over the last year.
1: Yeah, I tell you, uh, banking and cash in the 50s is a lot different to it is how it is now. Like, immediately Swan is just like, Oh, they'll just trace this money back to you. Do they track every note that leaves the bank? Do they? I mean, it, it seriously sounds like yes, they do. It's it's pretty it ridiculous. Seems like gambling is the way out of it. I don't know. And even even at the end, when the inspector comes in, he's like, "Oh, you've got too much money. Show me your bank records." And they go through it all. Like it's so simple. Like how how they would have this money. It's it's very odd. And then we basically get this
0: switch to like a, an overview of the room where. Tony now explains what's going to happen on the night, how he's going to come into the room, what's going to be positioned where, what's going to happen with the phone, the key. He tells the entire rest of this story, and I think it is fantastic that he does that because it, you feel like you, you've, you've got all the details you need to know now. There's not there's not going to be that. It's not so much a mystery of who's going to die, how, how they're going to die. It's more of a mystery now of what is going to go wrong. Clearly, this isn't going to go right.
1: Yeah, and I think... The reason that it's so important they explain exactly how it's going to happen is that with everything that doesn't happen exactly to plan, because we know the plan so well, it's so highlighted yeah. for us. Like, even when it, when it starts off badly where his watch is the wrong time, his watch stops... How funny is this? His watch stops because he must have overturned it. (laughs) (laughs) Classic 50s, bro, uh, overturned watches. Like, seriously.
0: It's like a a tourney clock we used to have. Yeah, and not only does Tony explain it, but then you also get Swan actually, like, think about it as he's acting it
1: out. Yeah, Swan, goes, so the, get, Swan yeah. starts walking around the room while Tony is actually on the phone to Margot. And you see like how two-faced Tony is. like He's planning the murder while she's on the phone to him. And he's like, oh, you have fun, my darling.
0: <laughs> and I must say, it's been about 30 minutes into this film now already. And all we've had is our four main character interactions, the big setup to the story. And it's been great so far. Like The pacing has been very solid in this film. It hasn't felt like an hour and a half has gone by at all. It felt like, like what,
1: 15 minutes to me. You just said it doesn't feel like an hour and a half had gone by. It's because half an hour went by, Hendo. Half an hour.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what I meant. Half an hour. But now we get into it the next night. What is going to go wrong here? Oh, we haven't we haven't brushed up the fact that uh, Mark writes murder mysteries.
1: Yeah, and I do like this element to the film as well, because you get Tony and Mark talking about how to write a crime novel and how to, you know, the idea of a, a perfect murder is talked about. And I think I could uh, plan one better than most people, but I doubt if I could carry it out. Oh? Uh-huh. Why not? Well, because in stories, things usually turn out the way the author wants them to, and in real life, they don't. always. Hmm. And that really just sets up like the next act, basically. Pretty much, like it's not—is
0: it not sus already that Tony is really pushing Margot to stay home? Oh,
1: that—that that, I love this moment as well when she's just like, "Ah, oh, nah, it's a thriller tonight, so I'm not listening to the radio. Uh, I think I'll go <laughs> out." And he's like, "Well, I'll crack the shits then. I'm not going out then. You guys go. So why? I'll stay." <laughs> Like, seriously? You really want me to do your clippings that badly? Yeah, that's it, the clippings.
0: (laughs) And even when she's like, oh, if you're going to act like that, then I won't. And he's like... You don't
1: have to if you don't want to, you know. You just forced her into not going. She's like, what am I meant to do? Stay here while you two go out and have fun? He's like, oh, there's heaps you can do. You can write that thank you letter to such and such for the weekend. It's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) What a rocking Saturday night. Classic 50s. Kudos to Tony though for actually managing to get her latch key behind his back, one-handed, open the 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 purse and take it out. That that would not have been easy. Does it in the old
0: playful manner as well. He he found a very good way to get that done while not looking so
1: suspicious. Yeah,
0: and even. Going out to put the key. No, Mark's standing there. He's like, What did, where do you think he was going to be at this point? I am like, go out the front, wait for a taxi.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't walk out to the front with Mark and say, Oh, I forgot yep. to, I forgot something and run back in. But I think they didn't want to film any more outside. <laughs> it's a good point. Like maybe, maybe it's
0: sus for us because we know what he's doing. You see him walk up and he like leans against the the stairwell with his hand
1: like his hand a little bit underneath it. I like that Hitchcock didn't actually focus on that. Like he knows that the audience yeah. is going to be watching his hand, like a whole anyway. That's hawk all I was anyway. You know what I mean? You don't need that close up at all. That's great.
0: Ah, uh, but Swan rocks up. Good old Swanee. And like you said, of course he's watched us. Of course his watch has stopped. What a rookie mistake! You plan, you plan the perfect murder here, and you can't keep an eye on your watch.
1: Nah, nah, that was uh, that was pretty rough. But yeah, so we just get problem after problem. We've already had a few back at the apartment, but now he's he's realised it's after eleven. He's got to hurry, and yep. he goes to the phone and there's someone on the phone. Like ah, <laughs> oh, come on, <laughs> like uh,
0: go on, buddy. And Swanee was about to walk out, wasn't he? He was like, "Oh, uh, uh, am I being played here? I got to get out of here."
1: Yeah, which I actually think was great. The way it was, the way it was shot is the we as an audience don't actually know if he's going to be behind the curtain or not, or whether he's outside the apartment. I thought he was actually going to be out, out the front of the door, and then she's gone out because he's he's walking out when the phone rings and her light goes on. Now
0: I'm, I got to tell you the way Hitchcock set up this scene, the way it was shot, this whole murder. This is my.
1: Excellent. Yeah, for me it was it was definitely in consideration. The thing that sort of took it away for me was the actual shot of her being able to stab Swanee in the back while he's on top of her. I I didn't I didn't find that remotely believable. And when I saw it, I was like, oh wow. Well, that's not what does
0: him in in the end, is it? It's, oh, I know falls he falls
1: on the scissors. I know scissors. he falls on it, but I just it did look odd for her. The amount of force you'd need to reach behind a man who is strangling you, so you're already going to be a bit weaker, you'd think, and then to plunge scissors through layers of clothing. I didn't very buy very sharp
0: it. scissors. Didn't buy very it. sharp scissors.
1: No, but that shot where
0: she comes in and she's answering the phone, and this is the point where you're like, all right, Swanee's supposed to be there ready to strangle her. Where is he? And you don't see any of that. And she's saying hello, who's there? And then bang, snap cut, and he's right behind her. Like holy shit! I thought that was great how they positioned that because, like you said, we don't see him go back there. He, the last shot we see of him, he's walking out the door. And for him to not be anywhere in focus when she shows up in the room, and only to have it cut back to her, cut back to him right behind her, as he's like trying to get the the stocking around her neck every time she puts the phone down. He does it several times, and as soon as he gets that opportunity, wang, it's around her neck. I thought I thought it was great.
1: Yeah, that moment where she's saying on the phone like "hello, hello, hello," and Tony's wondering why nothing's happening because he's waiting for her to put the phone down to get the stocking yeah. around her neck. But again, how cold blooded is it? Like Tony's listening to this. Yeah, he has a little. He has a look of pain on
0: his face, though. He's like, uh, "This is uncomfortable." Mm. It wasn't. A, it wasn't joy.
1: But then Margot on the phone, and here, here's another bit that I thought could have been, you know, my excellent. It's great where Tony has to really think on his feet now. Like he has to try and work out how do I, how do I? Literally, nothing has gone right for this guy so far. How do I control this situation now? And when he actually starts talking to her, I was thinking, what are you doing? Like, why are you talking? Like you are just setting you're putting yourself into this situation now that you could have just hung up and gotten away but i guess the big question would be like who rang you know if he if he just hangs up and goes back to the table they i don't know how you know tracing the phone calls work whether they can check phone records but even if they can't you've got mark saying at exactly that time yeah um we saw tony walk away and make a phone call it's very suspicious so for him to go to you know, leave and go see, or oh, go straight away to Margot. He can control it. He can control the evidence. He knows what to look for. Did you know what he was doing when when he swapped the stockings out? N- no, do you, I don't think I still do. Why did he do that? I mean, he did it to frame Margot. Like he knew at that point that he wanted Margot to take the fall for this. Ah, oh, this is what he's thinking about on
0: the way down there. Like he's got all that time in the taxi to think. How am I going to do this? Yeah, because when he put
1: it under under the uh, the thing, I thought, "Well, that's dumb. They're gonna find that." What are you? Why are you hiding it on your desk? He he wants them to find that. And then when he brings the tea over and he puts it down and it exposes some of the stocking, I thought, "Oh, you idiot! What have you done?" And then he pushes (laughs) it to make sure they see. I was like, oh. I was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" But no, he's. They are genuinely, or Tony is genuinely trying to frame Margot for this murder, as opposed to you know the act of self defence. No, but he, he
0: plants the the letter back on Swanny as well on the dead body, and and the thing that ends up doing him in, he gets the key from his pocket and puts it back in her handbag. I did, I did not, I couldn't remember that that was the thing that got him.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the next day,
0: cops are showing up, and like you said, he makes it known that the stocking is there.
1: And then we get an intermission. This movie is like a hundred minutes long. Why are we getting an
0: intermission? Do you know why it was an intermission? Because at the time, when you would have the, the film reel at the theater, the movie theater, you would have two different reels. So you could you could change one over as, another, as the other one was finishing so the movie would continue going. But when they had the 3D going... They needed both reels to be going at the same time to make that 3D effect. So they would need to have an intermission in the film so they could change the reel over halfway through. Mind blown. Look at you. You're stunned.
1: Oh, how interesting. It'd be weird if every film from that period, uh, you know, no matter how long, had some weird, awkward intermission in the middle. So, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, 30-minute films get a little 15-minute intermission. <laughs> but we get
0: basically the fifth and final character show up in this film, Detective Hubbard, mate. This guy is all over it.
1: This is one smart guy, which is great because Tony is a very smart guy. So it's good having someone who can actually rival Tony. But seeing Tony come up with these super quick lies is so enjoyable. Everything
0: Tony is throwing at him, he keeps knocking it out of the way. He he's a smart bastard. Like well, yeah, like what happens here when I believe they ask him what who was he calling? Like oh, why were you, this why
1: bit here, we- I I didn't know how Tony was gonna get out of this. I just thought, oh, what? Uh, why? What? What reason could he have? And for him to say, because he told Mark, "I've got to go call the boss," and then yeah. he calls he calls Marco It's like, why? Oh, I didn't have the number. I was calling her for the number. I love her reaction. Like, you got me out of bed for that. <laughs> <laughs> Even
0: Hubbard, he is all over this affair. He knows immediately. As soon as Mark writes down the number, he knows. He knows what's going on.
1: What do you mean? Because I saw that very close watching of the note, and I thought maybe Hubbard was trying to compare handwriting from, you know, the letters.
0: Maybe, because he's already read the letter, I'm pretty sure, and there's the mention of Mark. So when he meets Mark, he knows what's up.
1: Yeah, but I thought in particular he was paying close attention to the handwriting.
0: Oh, no, I don't I don't think that's it I think he's just super sussing this guy from the get-go
1: hmm. well Tony walks out now almost like the inspector you know wanted him to like oh go do this in the garden yeah and straight away Hubbard's just like listen I know about the letter I'm not sure how much Tony knows so I haven't said anything but I'm pretty sure you you killed him <laughs> and it's just like yep. what like he really shows all his cards in one moment right now <laughs> well what's he got to hide what's you gonna do yeah, not much. But Tony gets really angry and calls his lawyer like, mate, calm down.
0: He's got to look like the defensive husband. He can't be like, oh, you did it. All right, well, send her off.
1: Yeah, and now we get to the weirdest part of the film. What would you make of the trial? My God, this took me off guard.
0: I thought it was like a dream or something, like a nightmare.
1: Yeah, it took me a while to realise, oh, this is actually happening in the reality of the film.
0: Oh, I I didn't realise that until the next scene when they're like, is it was, it's a days later or something?
1: Nah, once I, once I got through, you know, verdict and sentencing, I was like, okay, now this is real, but man, a lot of time has gone by. Like, even in the 50s, I feel like a murder uh, verdict would take a while, surely.
0: Well, they don't need to go through the the courtroom drama of this this whole thing. They just go straight to it, yep, the end of the trial, she's guilty of murder, let's move on to how Tony is going to be found out. And how's Mark with his awesome crime writing expertise here? Basically tells him, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you say that you did all this? And I thought he was, like, baiting him to confess. I thought he was in on it.
1: Like, not in on it, but I thought he knew what he was saying was right. But, no, he he really doesn't. He's really just guessing and is 100% accurate with everything he's saying. But, again, I love Tony's reaction to it all. Like, oh. Can you imagine anyone believing a story like that? It's Like, mate, he would be sweating bullets hearing Mark just <laughs> unravel his entire perfect murder plot. But Mark says, oh, you know, you might get three years for trying to plan a murder. And Tony's like, uh, three years? And it's like, oh, it's a you know, it's a small price to pay for Margot's life. And it's like, well, not if you wanted her dead, let's be honest. No.
0: No, let's let's uh, hey Mark, let's talk about something else. Let's go you wanna go one of those stag nights again. Let's let's not let's not worry about this anymore. Yeah. And what is it? They've got us they've got a spare like an extra bed out in the lounge room now. Like are they like no 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 separated. no 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 no. P- no 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 no
1: no no no. So when you actually see when you actually see Margot for the first time in the bedroom, she there are two single beds there. Like Margot and Tony are not sleeping in a double bed. All oh, right. There's not Why? a bed in the land room. The bedroom has always had multiple beds in there.
0: But what's in the land room now? I swear there's a bed in there now.
1: There's <sighs> not a bed in the land room. They go into the bedroom off the lounge room.
0: No, but when they go into the lounge room, it looks like there's a bed in there now.
1: Who puts a bed in the lounge room?
0: Maybe they've separated here. Maybe they're having difficulties.
1: Maybe she's sleeping in the lounge
0: room now.
1: Uh, she's on death row. I don't know. I swear there's what a bed in the lounge having room difficulties. now. Difficulties. Of course they're having difficulties. She's about to get executed. <laughs> He's trying to kill her. <laughs> Bit of marital problems. <laughs> No, but Tony does hide his case under the, the blanket in this, in the in the bedroom. And Hubbard comes in asking about where Tony got the 60 pounds. And then it balloons out to 100 and Tony's just spinning circles. Like when he's saying, I think this is probably his worst lie when he says, oh, I want it at the track. 100 pounds. It can happen. It's like, oh, <laughs> that is so unbelievable. Yeah. Like Rough. I didn't even know how much 100 pounds is by today's standard, but... It was so just ah oh, yeah, it can happen. <laughs> what was Hubbard doing
0: with the fake key here? Was this like I I didn't I, I need to figure this out from what happens at the end with the key because he looks like he. So what he was no, purposely no, 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 no.
1: drops yeah. So what he's doing here is he letting Tony know that all latch keys look the same. That he's implanting that little nugget into his mind so that when Tony. When Tony tries a key later on, because he knows he's going to set him up later on, when he tries a key later on and it doesn't work, he wants him to realise just because it looks the same as my key doesn't actually mean that it's for this lock. So, when does Hubbard know that Tony did it? I say now. Right now. He already knows. He's when he's been...
0: walking into this room now, uh, after
1: the, after the guilty knows. verdict. Yeah, he, yeah, he already he didn't know knows. He did know beforehand?
0: Before the guilty verdict. Nah, he wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't put a girl, he wouldn't put a, uh, uh, an innocent woman on death row, would he?
1: No, I think the money, the the money trail has tipped him off and has made him look closely at Tony because he hasn't withdrew money, like he's spending money and not making withdrawals, and because he, he said he's already been to the bank, you know. And I love, I love the way that Hubbard says that, like, oh yeah, I've already been to the bank. I didn't want to bother you if it was nothing. It's like, no, nah, you are, you are <laughs> hardcore investigating him now. <laughs>
0: But uh, sneaky t- uh, sneaky Mark in the room listening to all this, and he he finds the, all the money, and he comes out with his all his initial theory. He thinks, well, this is probably what happened. The whole thing he was talking about, which could be fake, is probably true. So he comes out and explains it all. But Tony, he's he's acting all super confident here. He's got an answer for everything. Still, he ties it back to the letter and the bribe money, and all that. He's he's all over Mark. Now, what is this? What does this say? Is this Hitchcock doing? You know, a little bit of. Uh, discussion here about the fact that we have this crime writing novelist who can't solve the mystery but you have a an actual genuine detective here who's already figured it all out and is plant and is planting this big ruse to set up Tony. Is that saying anything about how nothing is as good as like the real thing?
1: Sure that's one way of looking at it but how do you think that relates to Hitchcock? Maybe
0: he's comparing himself to other people who are trying to mimic his style of writing. They are the mark and he is the hubbard.
1: Mmm. Mother Hubbard, eh? That's uh that's an <laughs> interesting theory. It's just interesting because Hitchcock didn't write this, that's all. But he made it. Yeah, but you said he wrote it. He didn't write okay, it. Okay, well think about
0: it from a directing point of view. Like there are people who there are directors who mimic his style of
1: movies. God, Dean <laughs> I mean, you know what's that saying about flattery is uh, uh you know the one where imitation is the highest form of yeah flattery. Imita- yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the one I might be uh,
0: uh I might have holes in my own story because wasn't this a play originally then <laughs> they already do this on stage yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> this isn't Hitchcock saying anything about this this is uh Jesus who wrote this this is Frederick not telling the
0: audiences uh, I, I did say that yeah it sounded smart at the time. Yeah, so you've got Mark leaving and Hubbard leaving, but Hubbard goes upstairs. Well, he swaps the keys out. Yeah, he, so, he's sorry. setting up
1: a big plan here. He swaps the jackets out.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you see that happening. That's when I looked at him like, what are, you, what are you doing, you sneaky detective?
1: <laughs> yeah, so he leaves and then Tony leaves. And not only do we have the inspector hiding, we also have Mark hiding out the front. <laughs> everyone's hiding, everyone's sus. And everyone, everyone goes inside and- he set up this plan. Hubbard set up this plan.
0: He's got Margot ready to go.
1: Yeah, she tries comes to out. come through the door. And this is her test. And this is important. Yeah, exactly. This is her proving that she wasn't in on it because when she can't get in, she doesn't know the keys there. Did you notice that Hitchcock Hitchcock actually
0: had Grace Kelly dressed in bright colours at the start of the movie and then made her dresses progressively darker as the time went on, showing, you know, her progression from, you know, uh bright and bubbly. To on to death row and the you know, on death row, <laughs> <laughs> and you get Hubbard here basically explaining the rest of the movie because he essentially he, the, the end part with Tony showing up isn't a surprise for us. It's it's more of a question of is he going to is he actually going to walk in? We know what they're planning to do. Once again, they've told us this is what's going to happen, and yeah. now it's a question of is it actually
1: going to happen? Yeah. And this whole, yeah, this whole, this whole moment where Tony—they're watching Tony through the window—and he, he tries to lock it, doesn't work. He goes outside, and he's thinking, and that—that's sort of slow. Like it's slow. Like he's—it's sort of the cogs are going in his head, and you see Hubbard go. Yeah. No, he's—he's he's way down the street. Oh no, he's stopped, and he's still at the gate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like, definitely oh. What were you? What were you thinking? Like are you gonna be like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. Like, what do you think of Tony? Do you want him to be caught now? Do you want him to get away with it?
1: I mean, am I crazy? But Tony's like, I want Tony to succeed. The whole movie, I want Tony <laughs> to succeed. Is that? Is he's that, just a smart bastard. He's so charismatic. Like this actor is so fantastic as this character.
0: And I know he didn't want to do it, but I think like Cary Grant would have played this just as well. What do you?
1: Where's your evidence for that?
0: Every film I've seen him in, he plays that charismatic, suave guy. Just for him to come in and be this charismatic, suave, sly, sneaky kind of guy. I think the closest
1: thing we ever got Cary Grant as a villain to was in Charade, where you're never sure if he's actually a good guy or not, and he's so sneaky in a lot of that film. And he betrays um, Audrey Hepburn often in that film. Yeah, but it's done with a lot of tongue in cheek and a you know a, a wink. Hmm.
0: But he gives in. He, he goes, grabs the other key, opens the door, and he knows immediately that he's busted. And he takes it, it quite well. Pulls himself a drink, a scotch. Yep. Yeah, he knows he's done, and that's the end of it. Good old Hubbard. He solved the lot. He he's the winner here. Well, maybe Margot is. She doesn't get to die now. Probably the biggest winner. Yeah. But that is it for Dial M for Murder.
1: Yes, it is. Any last words?
0: All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on Dial M for Murder?
1: Yeah, for me, I think this film is very, very clever. Uh, I think it's fascinating watching such smart writing appear on screen. I think the performances in particular from Ray Milland and, to a lesser extent, Grace Kelly were fantastic. Uh, I, I was drawn in. I really was drawn in the whole way. I wasn't ever bored it was a fascinating story there were twists and turns and it wasn't a mystery but it's never dull like you're so engrossed in this film i really really enjoyed it direction obviously is very good uh for me four stars very good what about you hendo
0: yeah i pretty much mimic everything you said there i think this is a nice tight little murder mystery here even though the mystery is somewhat not there hitchcock he directs a fantastic film here. Very good use of uh, blocking and well-shot scenes. the The whole the, I don't know. Would this be subverting your expectations back in the fifties? They're talking about murder mysteries here, and I'm, I imagine most other murder mysteries from back then, you don't know the killer until the end. Whereas here, he reveals the whole he reveals the whole thing at the start, and it sets it up so that you're in with the villain here. You're in with the killer. You know what they're doing, and it's more of a case of. Like what we said, exactly. What is going to go wrong here? We know this isn't gonna go the way it's planned. So let's follow everything that goes wrong here and see how he gets out of this, how he bounces back, how he has this this you know, this mental tug of war with Hubbard and who's gonna get the better of each other. And in the end how Hubbard just sneaks up and has this whole plan ready to go and gets him with this one two combo at the end. It's the whole plot and story is fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it, especially the first time I watched it. I dug this movie so much I, spe- I still do- I still dug it this time around just probably not as much as I did the first time though, uh, i give this 4 stars as well
1: Nice, very strong I was the best because the crowd loved me
0: Alright Dean, where is this going to sit on your rankings?
1: Alright, I've got quite a few 4 star films on my current ranking, so I'm going to start at number, let's go 36 with Toy Story 3 I do think it's better than that uh, Next up, catch me if you can yeah, I think it's better than Catch Me If You Can. Next one is Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's going to stop there. I think this will be my new number thirty-five.
0: All right, let's start at the let's start at the bottom of my four stars here. Let's go to Django Unchained. Django! I think it's better than Django. I think it's better than Some Like It Hot. We get to Hitchcock's Vertigo. I think this is better than Vertigo. It's also better than Once Upon a Time in America. I also enjoy it more than the Grand Budapest Hotel, as well as Toy Story 3. And then it gets up to Lord of the Rings of the Two Towers. And this is a tricky one. I'm actually going to put this above the Two Towers. And then it's up to the Wolf of Wall Street. And I think that's where it's stopping. So for me, Dial-In for Murder is my new number 39.
1: All right, fair enough. I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away.
0: Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an early donation and to learn more about the event.
1: Together, we can make a difference.
0: Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related.
1: Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there and there's a couple of ways you can help us.
0: Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio and of course Podbean. We're very thankful to Podbean for taking on our podcast.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a great hosting site with a great app to go with it.
0: Yeah, what I like about Podbean's app is you can actually comment on the episode you're listening to and it goes straight to us and we can reply back immediately.
1: We've also opened
0: up a new little merch store over on TeePublic. We've got uh, a couple of t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and all that good stuff for sale. So... If you're at all interested in getting a little bit of Movie Journey sweet, sweet merch, head on over there and see if anything tickles your fancy.
1: Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so over on Twitter. Endo controls our main handle, at The Movie Journey, and I am at Dean's 250 Journey. You can also check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash The Movie Journey. Our Letterbox pages, where we keep our film diaries up to date. I am at letterboxd.com slash Dino underscore J88. Really the tongue, and you can find Hendo at letterbox.com. Hendo. And we also have a new Facebook discussion group. Yeah,
0: a little listener community going on over there.
1: Yeah, head on over, join up. We'd love for you to be a part of the discussion. Exactly. Another
0: way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. And like we've said, if you screenshot your review and DM us, we'll send you out some new sweet, sweet merch. Or if you're really loving the show and want more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, Breaking Down Films Not on the IMDb Top 250 List.
1: Yeah, we've got over 70 episodes over there, including such classic film series like The Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series, as well as some notable film directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino.
0: Yeah, that's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can even shape the show the way you want to by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate?
0: All right, Dean, we're into the part one, part two of Harry Potter with uh, the start of The Deathly Hallows part one. We're nearly there, mate. We're nearly
1: finished. Yes, we are. It's been a great series, and uh, it's good coming coming towards the pointy end of it, finally.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple of ups and downs along the way. Let's see if we can finish this one off with a big bang, shall we?
1: Absolutely. So, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash journey and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer.
0: All right, mate, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And... This could be it. Uh... And we got a couple of reviews for Dial M for Murder. First up, over on Twitter, from Ryan L. Terry. Gripping, sensual, intriguing, and of course, suspenseful. And it all takes place in one room. Here's where the impossible crime came into its own. It's a foundational film that has served an inspiration for actionable dialogue and a premise that has been copied
1: over and over. And lastly on Twitter here, from Anth P. Classic Hitchcock taught, tense, exciting thriller shot differently with constant changes to camera angles in comparison to what he'd filmed before in such small set spaces in my top five Hitchcock movies.
0: All right, well, why don't we head over to Patreon now. Dean, what are, have what are the patrons got to say?
1: All right, let's start with Once Upon a Tom in Hollywood, the slow-mounting tension, the gripping performances, the fucking framing. This was filmed to be seen in 3D, and the documentaries accompanying the feature on DVD are nearly as enthralling as the movie itself. Watching it after finding out about the foreground framing devices and specific details like the giant phone and artificial oversized finger is a totally unique experience. This movie rules four and a half stars. Yeah, we didn't mention the giant phone and the the
0: massive artificial finger. Did you hear about that?
1: Yeah, I I saw a few photos and stuff of Hitchcock with this giant phone.
0: Yeah, because they couldn't get uh, a good enough close-up shot of uh, Tony dialing the the phone in the the phone booth. So they had to make up this massive, big, giant phone and a, a big, giant finger. Yeah. All right, lastly, over on Patreon from Chris Beardsall. For me personally, I find a lot of films pre-1960 have pacing issues, but Dial-In-For-Murder is one of the exemptions. Some of the acting feels very dated, but Milland and Kelly carry the film well. I think this is my third time seeing this, and I'm still captivated by Tony's plan as it unfolds. It's not Hitchcock's best, but it's still a solid 4 out of 5, and would recommend. Uh, Thank you very much everyone for putting in a review there, but of course we've got...
1: Excellent Hitchcock film set in a tight location about the complications that arise when a man tries to pull off the perfect murder. The film is dialogue heavy and often plays out as a series of two-way conversations. The characters are well portrayed and fleshed out. They are also quite intelligent and highly reflective and observant. Although I can get lost in the plot of this movie, things become a lot clearer when you see what is talked about put into action. I don't have a lot to say, other than the film is well assembled, shot and delivered. Great character study and intriguing storyline that gets more intense as each development unfolds. Four stars from Shane. Very good. Oh, look at that. On point, finally.
0: (laughs) All right, let's have a quick look at some uh, polls I've been putting up for our top 250 films. Are they one of the best 250 films of all time? Let's continue on here with The Wizard of Oz. And we got a 74% for yes. It is one of the top 250 films of all time. What do you make of that, Dean?
1: Can't argue with that.
0: Well, on to our other film here that I've done, Paths of Glory. We have 62%. Say no, it is not. One of the top 250 films of all time.
1: Can't argue with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think out of like these 16-odd films we've done so far, there's only been like five that have
1: got a yes. Really? Very uh, brutal Twitter fans. Yeah, very picky. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk!
0: Where we asked is, what is your favourite Alfred Hitchcock film? All right, let's have a look over on Twitter. First one here from Brandon Shea Mutala: Rope, hands down.
1: Cinematic Adventure says Psycho. Crash Dude says North by Northwest. Dan is Not the Problem says Shadow of a Doubt. I don't think I've seen Shadow of a Doubt. I have, a few days ago. <laughs> the Matt Lee
0: says Foreign Correspondent. The Umbrella Escape Scene is superb.
1: Michael Arka. Arka? ass. Probably not ass. <laughs> Anyway, Michael says Rope. Absolutely loved how he shot the film in long takes and the transitions from one long take to another. Fair enough. Tommy Jones says Vertigo. Leslie Davis also says Vertigo. Stephanie
0: Ma- Magni says Rear Window easily.
1: Tom Schutzer says So Close, but Rear Window just edges out Dial M for Murder and North by Northwest.
0: David Llewellyn says Rear Window deceptively complex. A great trio of leads and James Stewart, Grace Kelly, and Thelma Ritter. That incredible New York set and a nail-biting climax.
1: Perfect Hitchcock. Lastly on Twitter from Logwell, The Birds. Alright,
0: thank you very much everyone for putting in your favourite Alfred Hitchcock film there but then we're going to get to our top 5 Alfred Hitchcock films and see who won our competition and as usual we start off with you buddy, what is your number 5?
1: My number 5 is Strangers on a Train Ooh. My number 5 is Rear Window mm. uh, My number 4 one of the recent ones I've watched Notorious Notorious, is that that one? I don't even know what that is it's a song called Notorious No, don't know it Does
0: that play That doesn't play in the film?
1: I mean, it might I don't know the song <laughs> It definitely doesn't it, Was the song released in the 40s?
0: No, I think it was released like 50 years later <laughs> Alright, my number four is Vertigo uh,
1: My number three, dial M for Murder
0: Alright, my number three You've already said it Strangers on a Train uh, My number two, North by Northwest. Fair enough. My number two is the film we did today, Dial M for Murder.
1: And I assume we have the same number one. It is, of course... Pretty obvious. Psycho. Psycho, no doubt. Yeah, Rear Window and Vertigo did not make my list.
0: I didn't know your opinion of Rear Window. I know your opinion of Vertigo. Uh, I thought that might have squeaked in like a number five, perhaps, but... Nope, was not to be. But overall, our top five list is... Number five, Vertigo. Number four is North by Northwest. Three is Strangers on a Train. Two is Dial-In-For-Murder, and our number one is Psycho. All right, let's take a look at our competition here. Our runner-up this week with three right and two honorable mentions is Mina Harka. From five to one, she's gone Rear Window, Notorious, North by Northwest, Vertigo, and Psycho. But our winner with four overall with one honorable mention is Talon Crichton. He's done it. Nice. Number five, North by Northwest, four is Vertigo three is dial-in for murder, two is psycho, and number one is rear window. So well done, buddy. We'll get in touch with you and we'll send you some sweet, sweet merch. All right, next week's question of the week is going to be a random one, Dean. We haven't done a random one in a while. Why don't you tell me a number between one and 50? Uh, 16. All right, we're going to do what is your favourite film phone call? What's Ooh, your best phone call conversation in a film? That's not bad. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting top five there, I reckon.
1: We're both masters. Who won? How did it end?
0: All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of our Pod v Pod 36 movie draft between us and Colby Mack in our draft on movies adapted from TV shows. I keep saying that, but I don't stipulate that it was a non-superhero. But uh, what team were we? We were team two in the end. So what did team one?
1: What did Colby have, Dean? Uh, Colby had... Mission Impossible Fallout, 21 Jump Street, South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut, Star Trek, First Contact, and The Fugitive.
0: And we had Mission Impossible Gross Protocol, 2009 Star Trek, Borat, The Untouchables, and The Blues Brothers. So let's take a look at some responses here. First one from Julio at The Contrarians. Colby has the best movie of the draft in South Park and the worst movie of the draft in 21 Jump Street. If they cancel each other out, then both Mission Impossibles also cancel each other out, and so do the Star Treks. So it's Borat, The Untouchables, and Blues Brothers versus The Fugitive. Team Movie Journey gets it. Nice. Yeah, very well thought out, Julio. Keep it up like that.
1: Uh, The Rough House Podcast says, I hate Tom Cruise, so the Mission Impossible films cancel out. Then I was left with Star Trek, Borat, and Blues Brothers, and no matter how much I love Bigger Longer Uncut, Jump Street, and The Fugitive, can't hold a candle. Team Movie Journey wins. The Cinema guy say Team Colby all the way. Ryan Al Terry says, I see we have a battle of treks. The next generation will always win with me, so Team Colby for first contact.
0: Louis Ream says, very peculiar how with each of these polls there's always two or three films for which I absolutely don't care included in each team. I then have to vote for the team that contains the one film I like the most. So I choose Team Movie Journey.
1: Paul at the Countdown Podcast says Team Movie Journey in a landslide.
0: And I must say, Gerald from Two P's in a podcast really went to bat for Team Colby. Throwing throw a couple of comments on different people's picks for Team Movie Journey. Like, really?
1: Really? Seriously? <laughs>
0: Especially his comments to good old Nick from the Epic Film Guys. He has he says, Colby has four amazing films. Movie Journey has two decent films. How is this close?
1: Yeah, mind your own business, uh, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to sway the vote. The For Your Reference podcast says Team Colby is automatically disqualified for having 21 Jump Street in there. Jeez, bit
0: harsh. And the last one from John Arthur Bell. The worst movie on Team Colby, 21 Jump Street, is meh, but Team Movie Journey has two absolute stinkers, the Star Trek reboot and Borat. I think you went for Team Colby there. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a vote, a response, whatever you did there, but let's take a look at the result. And 96 votes later, I was watching this poll, Dean, I think the lead changed eight times what I saw. So, very, very close, neck and neck the whole way through it. But in the end, 52% to the Movie Journey podcast. Boom!
1: Did not see that coming. Massive. That is very, very close. I, I didn't expect it either. And once we actually finished recording with Colby, I, I said to him, mate, you've you've got that easily. This is. Yeah, I, I, is. I didn't like our list. I really didn't. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm. Yeah, hey, wrapped. Unlucky, Colby. You yep. couldn't win a game.
0: No, 3 0. I didn't didn't see that. Especially after that first fifth wave question you got right. I thought, man, we're going to get swabbed. <laughs> Another bad luck, buddy. We'll, we'll get you back on for a rematch eventually one day. There's this is tournament.
1: Let the tournament begin!
0: All right, Dean, it's time to find out the res- not the results, the first, re- second, God, the second round matches of the Tournament of Champions. I don't even know what rounds are up to now. Okay, let's take a look at the four matches here. We've got, first match here, we have Pulp Fiction versus Star Trek A New Hope. The next match here, we have Empire Strikes Back versus Inception. The Dark Knight is taking on Psycho this week, and that leaves the Battle of the 40s and the 50s here, Casablanca, against 12 Angry Men.
1: Mmm, should be good. So, what's next? All right, Ando, put me out of my misery. What are we doing next to break down? Do
0: Do you think I'm giving you a bad film?
1: Well, you have a bad track record, let's be honest.
0: Oh, yeah. It was such a bad track record for me to pick Fellowship of the Ring and say, let's do the whole trilogy. I'm pretty sure you picked Ben-Hur, didn't you? No. <laughs> that was in the days where we didn't pick films.
1: Oh. That was all
0: random. That explains everything. The dark days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. My film I'm picking. I, f- I was going through the list to see, is there any other things I want to pick besides Deadpool Society? And a film just just came out of nowhere. I'm like, man, I have been really wanting to see this film for a really long time. I I must have seen it, man. Must have been like twelve years ago. Really liked it. Haven't really remembered too much about it. It's a it's a bit it's a big film, especially I reckon in like a film Twitter universe kind of way. It's a Coen Brothers film. We're gonna go watch Fargo.
1: Fargo. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah,
0: expect a lot of that.
1: <laughs> oh god. Uh okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Not as excited as Fellowship? No. No. Uh I'm probably middling on this from memory. And I've I I think I've only seen it once, maybe twice, but uh we'll see how it how it goes on a rewatch for me. And for me, come on. Let's not forget about me. How could anyone forget about you, Hendo? They can't.
0: All right, next week Dean is Pod V Pod 37. We're going to have another great guest on. Don't forget, we'll be part of the Epic Film Guys live stream for The Cure coming out. it should probably be in about uh, 24 hours after this episode gets released, so keep an eye out for that. We'll be posting out links to the whole cause. Get involved, have a bit of fun with it. Should be a good time, shouldn't it, Dean?
1: Yes, and even if it's not, it doesn't matter because it's all for a good cause. Absolutely, as always.
0: All right, thank you very much, everyone, for checking out the episode, and we will see you next week for Pod V Pod 37.
1: Bye.